0: Thank God. Dear Lord, we're very, very grateful for our marriage. Um, each of us here, Lord, and the marriages that are going to come, or marriages that we have, we ask that you would be um, gracious to us in our understanding of your will and how to live in your Son's name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> we did this seminar about ooh, three years ago at my son's request after he got married, and uh, we did it in two days, seven talks, different breakdown, we wanted to move to a five-day format, uh, gave us more time, didn't rush through talks, uh, but we had to condense certain things. Uh, On the first page of your notebook, and largely the talks are following, everything may not be mentioned in here, but uh, the texts and various notes and various things will be in there that you'll recognize as we go by. Uh, on page one is the Fire and Rain Outline, and this is essentially the week. Um, to break it down for you as to what's going to happen which day, because even after I looked at the, as I was working on the materials, uh, I looked at the brochure I'd sent out, and it was uh, incorrect uh, as to what I was going to cover on which night. Uh, Tonight, we're looking at the first three premises there. Move toward humane, move toward together, a move from sustained to tranquil. That's the first night. The second night is going to be the combination of the next two things, having attitudes and paying attention, Okay. Giving affection has its own night. Dun, 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 that's Wednesday. That's the embarrassing one. Prepare yourself prayerfully for being embarrassed. Um, And then um, um, the last two nights, Thursday, on Revering Authority, um, we wanted to take a shot at the men. And uh, it's all too easy in Christian circles, conservative Christian circles, when you talk about authority, everyone thinks about, well, is the wife going to submit or isn't she? And really, the husbands need to know to not be such a bozo. uh, Or to be thinking about that question so much. So before we get to the authority and the wives, we're going to get to authority and the men. Um, So we'll do Thursday night on authority and the uh, men, the nature of the government of governments. And um, uh, then we will finish off with revering authority for the wives. Now... One of the things you will also probably, because you're thinking, I hope, believers, you've been around. Some of you've been believers for quite a while. Some of you uh, have thought on these things yourself. Some of you have come to biblical conclusions. I hope they're biblical, and you may find that those conclusions don't agree with us. Cool. That's not a problem. <laughs> you know, uh, we have no trouble with you not agreeing with us. You're you're actually taking this in to consider. Okay, you're not you're not taking this. I'm not the Pope, like to be, but I'm not the Pope, and uh, nor am I ever successful in starting a cult. So, um, <laughs> probably this allowance of too much freedom of thought. But here's the here's the deal. This is what we allow in disagreement. It's fine to disagree, but you have to ask yourself why am I disagreeing? In other words, what is it? Just my feelings? I don't like being talked to that way. I think he's got a bad attitude. What you know, just a feeling thing, or uh, and secondarily, or or do you have no? The scripture says something different, or reason says something different, or or appeal to some kind of authority. That's a good why you would disagree, and secondarily how. If your jaws get torqued you're probably not right. You're at least not right about what you about what you hold. You may be right in your position, but the fact that your jaws get torqued or you get really upset at me, and I've had a young lady many, many years ago run out in the front yard and yell, Nazi, in the front yard. So I, I've been around the block. She almost went around the block too, but um, I want you to keep that in mind, that it's great to disagree, but Say, if I'm going to be listening with any kind of assessment, I need to hold my own view that's contradicting this up to falsification like I'm holding his view up to falsification. So that I don't have my emotion overtake what I am feeling and and cause me unable to hear. And you may go out the door at the end of the week going, yeah, I agreed with three-fifths of what he said. But you're rejoicing in the Lord. Live long and prosper. I don't think that's Bible, but Star Trek, something like that. Okay. That's the, that's the rule for disagreeing. Um, if you are overwhelmed with the, the question that has been dumped on your plate by something said, there, this is my living room. It's, you can raise your hand and go, uh, and ask a question. We're, we're cool with that. Even though it's getting taped, it's probably going to be listened to by two people, so someone's giving a question, it'll probably pick up your question, it's a real good uh, little recorder, and uh, we will try to answer it shortly, uh, but we're available during this week, during the day, at any point you want to make an any kind of appointment and say, I'd like to talk to you privately about this, uh, that's great as well. So, and Mrs. Wilson here, is up here to keep me in line, and uh, to shove her ore in, in those ways that maybe my male mind doesn't reach uh, the women in the room, does not uh, play well, and uh, she is going to give some illustrations or things that have crossed her mind as she's However, thought However, that there. doesn't
1: mean I'm going to be easy on the women.
0: Yeah, she's, <laughs> okay? I'm nicer, okay?
1: <laughs> if I, Just because I'm saying something to help the women understand, it's probably because I think the women... I really need to understand because they got a problem.
0: Now you know you don't want to hear her say <laughs> anything. Okay. Um, oh, she's gonna say something. Okay. That's it's not
1: because I've never had those problems.
0: No, you haven't, honey. Right. <laughs> Lying is not good for a relationship.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if I, I have found,
0: don't do it. Well, let's look at this first talk then. The first talk is on having a humane, holy, and tranquil marriage. Now this is, we're approaching it this way, because we don't want to jump into the biblical requirements for marriage without shaking the modern post-enlightenment mind up a bit about what it is they're thinking about, what it is they're dealing with, what is your humanity, what is marriage itself, before you find out how, you know, um, off the rails people's thoughts have gotten. So there's the three premises. One is this movement to the humane. Too many people assume that because they came out of a woman's womb, they're human. Okay? Now, okay, you are, strictly speaking. You're in the image of God, strictly speaking. The state will allow you to marry someone of the opposite sex, strictly speaking. We know the ungodly can marry. Con- we know that Christians marry. That's not the problem is getting people married. The problem is having their marriages be good. The problem is what needs to be assessed for marriage to be wonderful, to be as God wants it to be. Well, the first is you bring two people together and people don't think they have to question the quality of themselves. And this basic thing, the first premise, in the move toward the humane, you have to understand what makes you humane versus animal. You've probably met some fraternity brothers down at a bar sometime on a weekend and found out, yes, there are animals, humanoid form, uh, but they're not humane. People who, uh, well, this serial killer up in Canada marrying, mailing body parts of his victims to Politicians in Canada? What kind of, well, virtually an animal. We know that the human being in sin can descend to far away from what God wants. That person you bring into a marriage is what you built. You know, obviously your parents, your family shaped an aspect of it, but you, your experience inside yourself built the human being that you are that's what you brought, that you're trying to work with in marriage. Uh, On the left-hand side, in the side column, I have a, a broad definition that I got from something else, another lecture I've done. But the middle point is, we are humane to the degree we govern ourselves. That's what makes the difference. Humanity, at its best, governs itself Whereas animals function by instinct, as the scripture talks about false teachers, uh, creatures of instinct, brute beasts, meant to be caught and killed. I think that's Jude. But th- that, that people descend to a certain place where they become brutish. And the distinction is they are not governed. They are not. And you may find someone who's not a Christian who's well and governed, and you wouldn't have any problem calling him humane. They, they have developed a control and they know what they're, how they're trying to live and they're holding themselves to a certain standard. Now, in that, in that when you examine yourself uh, in terms of a, your humanity, before you examine your marriage, your future marriage for the single people here, or um, your um, current marriage, examine yourself to see what kind of being you brought to this attempt to marry. Because marriage, it's a wonderful word. It tells you what you're doing. You're, you're marrying. You're, you're pulling. A little warning. Three years ago when I gave this talk, I was doing this. And Kelly, Al, Kelly uh,
2: O'Brien.
0: O'Brien just, it, it, was, it was too risque. Yeah. And so every time in church now, when I do this to illustrate some point, she's, she's flinching, thinking I'm talking about sex or something like that. So let that be a lesson to you. But marriage is marrying uh, the two agents. It's like you would marry two metals. It was marrying two substances. Who you marry is not merely a romantic question. It is the who, the humanity of the other person. What level have they risen to as they've pursued God and they've pursued their control in their life, the things that they, and not merely holiness, but the degree of government they have. Now, people could be good Christians without considering the question of their humanity. Uh, They could just presume it. Uh, But the struggles we go through, when we get to some of the issues that that may affect marriage, the struggles we go through are um, can be tracked back to some uh, failing in one or both or in some means of thought regarding the person. One of the basic things in the shaping of your humanity is, I have it down here, the distinction between inventory and arrangement. I've mentioned this a few times in, in sermons in the last few years. Um, the, the world seems to think, like animals, that the inventory, the ratio of pleasures to pain, is the path to whatever peace they're trying to establish. They try to add up as much good feeling and as little bad feeling as they can. They sleep around, they get drunk, they try to have as many pleasurable moments as they can. Now we know that because uh, we've toilet trained four children, that at a certain age, the comfort of doing your business in your diaper is, is a sweet moment. You might remember that far back. Uh, I think people, some people say it's like wetting your pants. Nice and warm and comfortable initially, but a little later cold and clammy. Now, that's what a little baby does. They do they do their business of just right now, right now, this is what feels good. And then diaper rash later, it's less, they're crying, all the rest. The distinction for the person who is just taking pleasure as it comes and doesn't move to the more humane pursuit of of humanity called arrangement, they know that I have to arrange, defer some of my pleasures to take them on later or in a better way so that the overarching relationship of pain and pleasure in my life I arranged. Some people just go for the inventory of pain and pleasure and the more humane individual goes for the arrangement of pain and pleasure. God's will says, um, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Uh, that you abstain from immorality. Well, we know out there in the world sexual sin is rampant because people say pleasure, willingness, why not? And we have to stop and go, but God asks us to arrange life differently. I have to defer the pleasure and accept the lack because I know that for my peace, the arrangement is going to make it not the just the sum total of how many good moments I had versus bad moments. I had a root canal, but I slept around five times. Okay, I'm winning. Five five immoral moments, one root canal. But the Christian goes, no, I'm arranging my life. Um, the second premise: this that how you structure y- your governance of yourself you need to ask yourself when you run into a bad patch or a difficult moment in your marriage each one of you unilaterally is being addressed this week to take responsibility for you and what you brought to the marriage or what you bring to the marriage or what you will bring to the marriage it's a unilateral thing. you are we're not telling the husbands how to make the wives do this nor are we telling the wives how to make the husbands do this we're you know, ways of relating that we'll be talking about, but you're Christians. You're here at this conference for a reason so that you can figure out how you are going to be better at things. If things are going south, if things are not rejoicing, if you're not at peace, you didn't arrange it well. Didn't arrange you well? You know, you're you're, uh, uh, potentially bringing something yourself bad into the situation. The second premise... Uh, is the move toward together. (coughs) This is where the marrying happens. Now, um, when you you assess what caliber you are in your marriage, how how controlled am I by the right standards of control? That God's control, what God wants me to do, what wisdom wants me to do, I am doing those things. You say you're wonderful people. Um, Marrying is a an, creates an, you might say, an, an exponential increase in, in the need to arrange, and you're arranging a separate will. You know, it, 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 you're taking something into your life that's an entirely separate will. God says we become one, we become members of one another, but frankly speaking, we haven't yet blended. It was 34 years in, and we haven't successfully managed some sort of twisted mesh of two people, um, like some radiation accident. (laughs) So what's marriage? A lot of questions about this recently with the uh, homosexuals uh, Mm -hmm. trying to get it. Um, And I don't address that. You might not say, well, Evan, your definition doesn't exclude homosexuality. This is not a political evening. Okay, This is we're just assuming that people who don't function with the right parts are off the beam. Okay, The sustaining of an avowed sexual membership. That's what a marriage is. We're assuming it's normally normal sexuality. But it's the sustaining of an avowed sexual membership. Now we know this. Genesis 2, we... We know that uh, uh, when the Lord God made man not be, a, be alone, I don't want to read the, every passage we come across, but down in verse 24, after he recognizes that woman was taken out of him, he says, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. The, the sexuality they express is the answer to God separating the two and it, he wants to, Adam wants to come back to the thing that he lost. Okay, there's that, that restoration aspect. Um, it creates a, we know from Corinthians, or well, not Corinthians, um, that the membership that we uh, gain, the one flesh, um, is something I want you to think about this week, about how you do all of this. We're going to talk about attitudes, we're going to talk about sex, we're going to talk about a number of things. How do you jointly govern this? Now, I'm a biblicist, so I don't think that oh, hey, we're at an egalitarian uh, a committee called the Wilsons and, and we both have one vote and hope it goes well. Hope we agree. <laughs> no, it's, it's membership, not, um, don't, not democracy it's membership. But membership includes, I like to think of it in terms of king and prime minister. King and grand vizier. The highest ranked citizen in your kingdom who has your ear that probably knows more about your life than you do. Okay, so but nonetheless, the king's here and the grand vizier's there. It depends on whether you're oriental, grand vizier, western, prime minister. Okay. Um, <laughs> In terms of sustaining the avowed sexual membership, marriage isn't marriage without the sexual. It isn't marriage without the vow. It's just fornication. You have this passage in Corinthians 6. Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. He takes that passage out of Genesis and he applies it to visiting a prostitute. Since that's what happens. That's what it was talking about in Genesis. Having sex. But without the vow, without the avowed sexual membership. And when we, we say vow, we're saying, um, I'm not just vowing to her privately. She's my girlfriend. And I want her to put out, so I tell her that I will love her always. And uh, we're virtually married. And and the eyes of God, and we don't tell anybody else. A vow is, a, uh, is something you stand in that regardless of the degree of the society you're in, they would all know. You make a socially witnessed vow in your given society. If you're on a desert island, it's just the two of you. Yes, you can get married. It's just the two of you. If it's a third person there, you better tell him,
2: OK? <laughs> because he's
0: going to be dating her. You know, he's gonna, If you don't tell him, he's going to date her. So you have to have the vow to transfer from fornication to marriage, but it's also not—it's it, it, sustaining an avowed sexual membership. You now, unless something awful happens, you're in a, a gas explosion that slayed six and you were your your private parts were torn off. You're going to have a sexual relationship. And the sexual, it's not marriage without that. That's what makes it marriage. That's how you become and symbolize things in this membership. Um, There was an early... um, And what God God has joined together, when it says here in Matthew 19, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Where this, this joining sexually, we saw that in Paul, that the sexual relation is the joining you shouldn't have it without the vow when it is happening in marriage God is putting it together so you better not mess with that that Christ's view on divorce in that passage Corinthians 7 introduces something that that lets us know that the early Christians had a practice uh, many people haven't heard of this it's a little weird it's called the subintroducta or the subintroducti the agape different names for it in the first couple centuries of the church. Uh, I have uh, two canons from two different councils, Council of Ancyra, First Council of Nicaea, both of them banned the practice. Paul seems to uphold it in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. It was keeping uh, a Christian woman as your virgin, and you did not have sex. It was a companion that many of the uh, people who studied it say it was to increase the mystical experience by the sublimation of desire but obviously a man and a woman sleeping together without benefit of sexual congress uh that's the polite way of speaking about it uh uh, temptations happen and paul was saying well if it has to be let them marry it is no sin but the early church banned it because it was probably causing too much trouble. But uh, uh, Charles Williams uh, bemoans this loss in his uh, History of the Holy Spirit, it's the Sound of the Dove. Uh, but it gives you an understanding that there was a relationship that was non sexual in the church, that was a blend like this, that they're traveling together, living together, had a, had a commitment, but there wasn't any sex, it wasn't marriage. You had to move to the sexual in the vow and have that socially understood. It, let them marry. It is no sin. So what's happening here is you've got a vow, you have sex, and you have the membership. Now, the vow, the sex, and the membership are you know, three crucial parts of what you're... And I want you to remember, when, when you get to the point, you say, well, I went in the church, I stood up in front, and the guy said some things. I repeated after him. And he pronounced me man. I, I vowed in front of everybody, everyone I knew, everyone I cared about, and we have had sex, and we, you know, we're still married. So it's sustained, avowed sexual membership. Yeah, you met the de- definition. Bear in mind that the quality of the parts is the quality of the thing it defined. Okay. Um, the quality of a wife feels that her husband is ogling everything that moves in a skirt is uh, too high, wide and handsome and friendly with the surrounding female population. If she feels insecure in the nature of how the vow is husbanded, and no pun intended, um, it's going to affect the quality of the marriage. If the sexuality isn't what it ought to be, it's going to affect the quality of the marriage. If the membership that you're gaining in this, the present vow, the securing element of the vow which is really given for the woman the woman the woman is drawn into the marriage, her desire you know, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you is the curse on Eve. The desire was um uh in such a way that it would provide her in her jeopardy the security she desired. The sexuality was providing what the man had lost, his rapprochement with the woman, his returning to what he had lost. Eve was taken out of Adam, he wants her back. All of us do. And the, the writer, the uh, commentator of there in Genesis was not talking about Adam and Eve. He said, "Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother." Adam and Eve didn't have father and mother. He's talking about all of us down through history. All of us who marry, the men marry because we want woman back. Now it, yeah, we'll get into that later. when a, the, the dirty night, Wednesday. Um, but so the sex is the expression of, of that metaphor. It's not the thing itself. We don't really reunite kids, are perhaps a, uh, the closest thing to the actual image being fulfilled. They are the reunification of, of the two people. Your children are the DNA of both of you. Uh, it's success, you know. Uh, we've, but you you, you won't bl- in this life. You won't blend. Uh, so it's a it's a soulless and a symbol, of, God's creation of Eve. And the vow is a, a, a symbol or a metaphor for the assessment that the wife has in her own security in the, in the relationship. The membership, on the other hand, the, the, the thing that grows that we want to rejoice in, the sense that we are, we are too married. Not that we went through a wedding and we've had sex a few times and we put ourselves forward, we have rings, so we're married and our last names are the same, but that we have actually become married two substances brought together, that requires that you minister to each other in a membership sort of way, which the metaphor that is, is Christ in the church. That's the big one. That's what we have become his body. He is our head. We have become members of one another, and the degree to which, not only the degree to which I achieve these things well makes my marriage achieved that well, but it makes the statement about the things spoken the security for the woman, the mojo and the rapprochement for the man, and the Christ in the church metaphor in our membership, all of those things, they're profound, but they're big. And as we, we have to feel this great degree of, you know, it's not just sanctity, but uh, uh, portentousness about what we do in building a marriage. And one other thing you have to remember, marriage is only, we're not Mormons, marriage is only for this life. The Lord said so. So this is the only place, the only place, you get to have it. So do it right. I I like to think of it as, it's heaven on earth in a way that nothing in heaven, it won't be in heaven. This is the only place it's heavenly aspects will be enjoyed because whatever we have in heaven, great things, no doubt, won't be that or it's hell on wheels that's
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that's, that's uh, if you want to remember that it's in the notes or it's hell on wheels right there um, him or him. <laughs> so we know that the, the scripture teaches you know, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives he dies she can marry another and the Sadducees thought they had Jesus on that one, you know, well, who was she married to in the resurrection? That's where the Lord says, you don't need to know the scriptures nor the power of God. There is no marriage in heaven. Now, in Proverbs 31, there's this, a good wife who can find, lets us know, a lot of people get, people get married all the time. People say, well, what do you mean people normally get married? What do you mean a good, well, a good wife it's probably true of a husband, though there's not a Proverbs aspect. She has your um, your packet over there. But you, you won't be able to sit in the same chair as she. will they give that up for me? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to that part yet, Patrick. <laughs> but I'm sure she deserves the cushy chair. So is someone sitting here? No one is, it's just somebody's coat there. We're on page four of the notebook. Um, I want to let you know there's a quality aspect to um, who we find and how we live. The qualities of the person affects the quality of your sense of marriage. Who I am bringing into my life, what kind of woman, what kind of man, those are things that, that ought to matter. I'm not just eager for marriage. Marriage is not a fix-it. Uh, It will not take two people with dysfunction, you put them together, it's bad. Now, when it says on the cover of this, one of my favorite verses, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil, at which you toil, under the sun. It sounds pretty grim. (laughs) But when you say, "Okay, yeah, life's grim," I got a wife, and enjoy my my task, my portion is to enjoy life with her, the woman I love. Now we're not stressing romance in this um,
2: seminar. Seminar,
0: thank you. Um, not because even back in Solomon's day, people fell in love. People had love, the the erotic. Uh, falling in love. Um, You might not have studied this in history quite so much, uh, but that was not recent, but an invention of later, much later, millennia later, two millennia after after that, was the idea of love, falling in love, being considered as a causal function in marriage. And initially it was only considered a causal function in adultery uh, because the whole courtly love tradition was an adulterous um, literary movement that was against the church, it was against morality, it was trying to worship love and the woman, and uh, it required that it be somebody else's wife. But they were using the power of love, declared uh, the Romeo and Juliet aspect, Lancelot and Guinevere. Um, uh, romance came up out of this idea. or it's not, It was something that people always had, but they made fun of it earlier than that. If you read Ovid, a Roman uh, writer, um, he wrote a lot of sexy poetry for the Romans, but he made fun of people in love. I mean, the people didn't think of that. There were arranged marriages and practical things, and people loved their wives, but they weren't being moved by it. They weren't considering it. Now, in this, I want you um, to realize that romance as a cultural function, is just as romantic in failure as it is in success. Matter of fact, probably more so in failure. Because romance requires misunderstanding, death, loss. That's what makes something romantic. I mentioned this to the uh, Tao of Eve (coughs) because it's too grim for me to process as a man. When I asked some women what the greatest romantic idea they could think of was, and it was Coming home from the doctor having just found out that you were pregnant with your first child and your husband's killed before you can tell him and then nine months later the baby is born and it looks like him kind I look at these women like are you what kind of sick creatures are you well women don't want that to happen to them but they know that's romantic that's what Gone with the wind, you know frankly scarlet i don't give a damn that's that that is you know, and he walks out into the fog, dumps scarlet, she loses greatest love story ever told and and you go, know, okay, what am I missing here? Romance is a cultural literary function which will happen to us, and if we know what we're doing, if we try to base our marriages on it and try to base um try to cheer each other up with enough romance, we're going to be mistaken. Welcome the romance as the effect of you doing the right things correctly. The the, the romance comes on. But it's going to be grounded in virtue, not grounded in misunderstanding and, and roses. It says in Thessalonians 4 that each one of you here in verse 4, verse 4, 4, 4, that each one of you know how to take a wife for himself in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like heathen who do not know God. Holiness and honor, not the passion of lust. People have thought of this before, that in many cases, obviously we don't, we don't say, I just want to appease my hunger. But, you know, you get married for the hunger. St. Paul suggests that you do. It is better to marry than to burn. Right? If if you can't control it, get married. It is well for a man not to touch a woman, but let each man have his own wife, and each woman her own husband because of the temptation of immorality. We know that we get married for God's way of pleasing us sexually according to his arrangement, his pattern, so that we will have the pleasure and the peace. But the lust can also disguise itself when it's just, I'm hungry, and I don't want to vow to keep this woman. It hides itself in romance as well. But holiness and honor lets you know here in 1 Peter 1 tells us in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So you want to say, as I examine this, I want to make sure that the passions, I I married my wife because I wanted women. You know, I'm no monk. And, uh, I married a pretty one, got her out of the herd, and, uh, and I, but, but I have to do it. I have to be obedient, I have to choose a wife for myself in holiness and honor. So I've got to consider whether or not my way of approaching my passions is preceded by God's understanding of what I'm about, what I'm doing, what kind of thing am I building. It talks about in Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3 about women being led astray by false teachers. Capture, they capture weak women burdened with sins and swayed by various impulses who will listen to anybody and can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So people who are, um, are um, um, passion based passion leads their decision It might be romantic passion, it may be physical passion, it may be just impulses generally, not a considered uh, assessment of what God has commanded, what the Holy Spirit is leading you in, what reason would dictate to you, that then sets a life in motion that brings a peaceful life and the rewards of passion. Uh, It's a... um, this is not denying that things like falling in love, my mother always said uh, it might be puppy love, but it's real to the puppy. Uh, yeah, it, we look at these people who are really in love, and go, oh, heavens. And um, we've had couples here at the house who were really in love, and they would talk baby talk to each other, and people were violently projectile vomiting uh, uh, with, with being around them. I think he proposed to her all after a, a a path of rose petals had been laid down throughout the house. I
1: think there were not, Hershey's Kisses involved.
0: Oh, Hershey's Kisses. The rose uh, petals. Definitely. Rose petals. And uh, they're good friends of mine, but I, I doubt their sanity. Now, it's real to those people. You have, if you're that, that kind of person, well, you know, God bless you. I'm not. But I don't want to say I'm preaching, I am preaching my personality. I wouldn't want that to be the case. I want you to consider, if you're the kind of person that is, is, has the impulses or the passions, or the, whether you're a guy who's got the physical passions, or you're a girl you've got the romantic passions, or you're a guy with the romantic passions, whatever it is, you want to be sure that you're... you're I like to sit, think of it in this, in, um, in this way. What is the verb in the sentence of your life and what's the punctuation? Revelation of God, reason, principles, thought out, should be the verb. The causes of what you do ought to be good and known to be good. The punctuation should be your passions. The exclamation point at the end of the sentence is the love you have for your spouse. The the romantic love or the sexual love or or the the, the, the wild hair impulses you do, you know it's coming at the end of a sentence written out where the verb is sensible. The verb is concrete. It could be communicated to somebody else. Why I did something. It tells us to enjoy life with the wife who we love. It says in Proverbs 5, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her affection fill you with all times with delight. Be infatuated always with her love infatuated, delight. We're not trying to drum those out of your life, but we're trying to decide where things happen in relation. What serves what? If I become a servant of my passions, I am choosing my wife by passion. And I'll be just basic human passion. It won't be some sort of... I have, unless I have reasons, I don't have any way of controlling my passions to make them Christian unless I'm principled about what kind of Christian I am and my my understanding of the scriptures, my understanding of reason, those things that educate my passions so that my passions always follow along like good Christian passions that they are. They don't tend to tempt me in a bad way. Uh, I like this quote out of the Song of Solomon uh, where the, uh, uh, the Shulamite says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awaken love until it please. And it's a great story, that whole romance there in the poem. She's out running around the streets of Jerusalem looking for her beloved because she thought she heard him knocking on the window. She gets beat up by the guard. I mean, we're not saying, it's very romantic, but it's not recommended. She doesn't recommend it. So, your vows kept, the sex enjoyed, the membership lived will produce a romantic infatuation with the person you're enjoying it with. Who you stood up for and said, she's mine, he's mine. The intimacy of the sexuality, the the constant conversation, establishing the government that you enjoy together of your home and life if you, you have to be somewhat autistic to not fall in love with that person, be in love with that person, enjoy, and describe it as love. Now, when we talk about this, have um, we gotten to anything you want to talk about yet? Uh, it's kinda, Almost? It's okay, she, she got her notes. All right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I, I think he just, like, over, uh, he overwhelms her. I think he just talks over. She's been trying to get a word at. I mean,
1: I'm in awe.
0: Uh, yeah, I, bet. I just Yeah.
1: can't say anything.
0: But she does have notes and her own high lit portions. So prepare your souls. Um, the nature of this love that comes on to you, it's not the same animal in each of you. Just You may have realized this at some point in your marriage, um, that when you talk about being in love, and as you age... You don't, you love each other, but you don't, you don't really talk about being in love anymore. You've seen each other on the toilet too many times, and, and you held her hair back when she was throwing up in morning sickness, or you, you, what other charming things, you've seen him gain weight, shall we say. Um, I'm not a pretty sight. You know, uh, uh, what else? Graying, for uh, somehow she has managed not to gray. Gift. Um righteous living, no doubt. But, but
1: it's a gift that costs about seven dollars a box. What?
0: <laughs> um We have to realize that as we minister to these things, we are everything that we are doing we are saying I am controlling myself I am governing myself then we together are practicing a certain task the vowed sexual membership of our lives we are jointly working on those three things to make sure if she feels secure I get to grab the girl in marital ways you can hear all sorts of polite ways of referring to the (laughs) Or sometimes we say the nasty, (laughs) and uh, um, and that that we find ourselves more and more married each year.
1: That now this is probably the The subject that I was saying. Most of you know Evan as the uh, cold thinker. You know everything is reasoned and uh, and you may know me as sort of a cold-hearted person as well. I. She was looking
0: for another word there.
1: <laughs> Especially if you lived here, you know, I, I am known as the law because I want it done this way and I'll let them know in no uncertain terms, but um, we have our passion as well. We don't demonstrate it in front of people in,
0: Cause it embarrasses in a lot of
1: touching or anything like that. We, we keep it uh, private. Where it belongs, but it's it's something that is, we're trying to represent a good life that's well thought out, um, where we have the right kind of passion that occurs in the right place, and uh, keeps people from being too terribly embarrassed around us.
0: And that, that And that's, we want to share a lot of our, our desire, our son asked us to do this because um, he had grown up with us and he wanted his marriage to be like ours. Now, our kids are not aware of, of, of well, they're aware they exist. Uh, so, <laughs> something had to have happened. <laughs> um, but the idea that, that but that's the, again, that is the, it's not right on the surface. Our great love for each other is I, I write my wife poems. Now, they're really good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and some of them I wouldn't show you.
0: Yeah. Now, but that's the end result of a life that we try to base in the Word of God, base in reason, base in reality, um, so that we have the joy of the passion and the love that comes out the other end. Now, the love is different between men and women. Um, men love because that whole reproachment is... Answer. to the degree we find ourselves welcomed by a woman into her life and she, she opens up into this great quality thing that we know we didn't deserve but we are reuniting with this good thing and our love is uh, is directly traceable to that kind of, of uh, it's not us hearing words like June and Spoon being rhymed. Women, on the other hand, love in honor of the satisfied uh, security. You all right, Sean? You guys are, you. Take a drink. Fan yourself off there.
1: Are they the new. No, Tyler and Ashley are more newlywed than you. They're, they're controlling themselves. <laughs>
0: Well, it's nice that you have a humor-based relationship. (laughs) Ours is a sexually-based relationship. (laughs) I married Leslie because she looked good in a tube top in in California. Um, So you're you're, going to have different kinds of love being answered in this moment. Different, the passions are going to be different. You're not going to have the identical thing, same thing. Men are going to speak of it differently than the wife is going to speak of it. And you have to recognize that as it comes on to you, it's, it's where you really find the membership is in the things that caused it. You won't have the same kind of feeling for the same reason, but the things that caused it, you ruled jointly. You vowed together. You have sex together. You, you grow in membership with one another together and the passion and the love that comes from it is going to have a sort of variance regarding it. Um, And we need to agree, the whole idea of membership, you need to agree to govern to this end, this avowed sexual membership, that we're going to govern to that. Um, If somebody... um, People who depend on, okay, okay, I don't really... um, I know I don't really make her feel like she's secure, but I'm going to buy her roses. Or I'm going to do something romantic, take her to dinner, a date, or something like that. And in the world, that's that's what people do. They abuse each other, and then they play romance. They fake closeness. They claim closeness. A man will beat his wife and then tell her he loves her, and she will cling to it, and not press charges because that's all she's got. That's, that's what she thinks it is. Is Well, if there's romance there, if there's love there, and if Christians believe that, well, divorce is rising amongst Christians because they think, well, if the love's gone, rather than saying, we need to go back and get to work on what we're doing as a couple, don't count on the fake Things that romance is. You know, you say, Well, is that buying your wife? I noticed the roses here. Well, I bought them. She bought them. But I have bought her roses before. But I always want the roses to be punctuation to how I've treated her, to be the end of kindness, the end of consideration, not the replacement for it, not the apology. Not the apology. Um, so you ha- but we can together um, work on these other three things romance is a certain kind of surprise to it, a spontaneity yeah, do those things, fine not so bad, but keep it in its right place and the task you have together in the right place um, it says in Ecclesiastes that there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing marriage is the time to embrace by the way St. Paul tells you what the time to refrain from embracing if you give it up for a time for prayer. And even then, not very long. Sex trumps prayer. Okay? get to that Wednesday. But sex trumps prayer. You've got to get back to having sex because prayer isn't part of the definition of marriage. It's part of the definition of Christian, but it's not part of the definition of what you're doing with your wife. So you've got to maintain, and because of the temptation of morality, you've got to get back to business so that you stay married. Now, um, addressing these things together, the membership... Sometimes, we're going to get to this on authority, but sometimes men become little martinets. You know what martinets are? Um, I think it was the name of a French cavalry officer who functioned in the French military like he wears a colonel. He was not. And so anybody, he had gained a reputation that is so world renowned that the word martinet now. Describe somebody who's above his station. Okay? Functions like his little father Abraham. That he's going to leave this family and pass down legislation. And they will do it. And sometimes there are women out there that are servile wretches um, who end up in that situation. And go along with it. They're whatever. We're not, obviously, since I'm heavy subjective wording on that, um we're not recommending that. We're recommending that the two of you deal. We say talk about it because we desperately do not want to use the word communicate because every other marriage seminar does and we don't want to recommend that. Talk to her. Just talk. Don't it's not a thing, it's not a tactic. Talking is not a tactic to get something to make marriage happen. Um, We just got to do it to get an idea from here to there. And she's got to do the same thing, and she's got to appeal to terminology and sentence syntax and all the rest. Logic. Logic. Helps. (laughs) Refer to the scriptures. But my wife and I, we spent an awful lot of time. Before we were married, we spent an awful lot of time, Denny's, California, talking about everything not so that we could communicate but because we we wanted to be drawn closer together i can't be guessing all the time i can't be imputing can be inferring i gotta be expressing you've got to lay the groundwork you gotta say what are we about and husbands your responsibility here since you're the default pastor you are the king, the baron, whatever the size of the fief you have. Uh, you're the guy. right? There's God and then there's you. You are God's lieutenant in that family. And your wife is your lieutenant. You've got to probably decide, how am I going to approach our life? How am I going to create the circumstance in which this... Um, we move from having... Uh, being two human beings hopefully better and better all the time to two married human beings who are practicing an avowed sexual membership what's it going to take to get to the tranquility that we want to have the tranquility the holiness essentially because um, nothing is better frankly I think it's the chief end of man but what God made man to be about is to find peace Everybody's doing what everybody's doing to get that peace. Whatever they think they can get it through, they're going to do. We found it in Christ. We found it in adding these other persons to our the other person to our lives and how we raise our kids, all those other things we want to maintain. Nobody wants to maintain chaos. Nobody points to chaos and goes, success. Because chaos rips a family apart. So what... You're not just, we're not just saying, what do you do to make sure you fall more in love? That was a side remark. The love that is created by the avowed sexual membership done well is just a perk. Okay, It's the good feeling. It's the, the emotional attachment that develops. But we've got a holiness and a peace to represent in a home because, uh, as I say, I think it's on the... Somewhere. What are you
2: looking for?
0: Oh, there's a certain passage of scripture that I must have passed over, or. Uh, no, I just probably haven't gotten to it yet. Um, the. Uh, we are. Creatures that were bringing two Christian lives together, marriage has to be accomplished and accomplished well with all the sub-interesting things of marriage that are not necessary to Christianity. You can, uh, Jesus wasn't married, St. Paul wasn't married, uh, some of the best Christians in history haven't been married, so you don't really need marriage to be married. You need mm, good marriage to be good, well, and, good, well and married. Um, is that a, is that no, a you sentence? You said,
1: um, you don't really need marriage to be married. To be married. You meant you don't need need marriage to be a good Christian.
0: Oh yeah, go. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's it's the drink. Um, The first chapter on page six, top of the page, Proverbs fourteen: The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Let that be a lesson. Mm -hmm. The house of the wicked. You ever read Edgar Allan Poe, The Fall of the House of Usher? Scared the pants off me. Because it was dark and disturbed, and, and this house falls into the swamp at the end because of the wickedness of the people in it. You know, just, uh. Christ gives that illustration in the parables, where you build your house. What do you build it on? The words of Christ or uh, your own ideas? You basically have, and I have on the side here, in case you don't know what wickedness is, there's a list there out of Galatians. Uh, The upright, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Yeah, you you get rid of those, you get those. It's going to build your house uh, in a a major, major way. The Lord wants, and St. Paul says in Corinthians 7, that when people get married, they are consumed with earthly concerns. And he recommends they not get married so they could be concerned about the kingdom. But he says at the end in verse 35, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If you want your marriage to be principledly membered where you are joining in membership, you both have to be on this page. Good Christian holy marriages will not happen if one of you is not on board with pursuing it. One of you may be. After holiness, after growth in Christ, but the other person's being high maintenance about things. They want to have their own way. Now, when they want to have their own way instead of the Lord's way, you're going to spend your time trying to stomp out those fires. Either by, uh, by a, being a long-suffering wife or by being a patient and prayerful husband. <laughs> but you're, going to, you're not going to be able to claim this marriage is a holy marriage. It's a marriage, but somebody is not on board with this. They're not, in an undivided way, devoted to the Lord. It's going to look like something. It's going to have your righteousness exceeding the scribes that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's going to be the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. You are not being asked to wait in your marriage, producing three, two point five to three kids, hoping that someday your spouse, whichever gender that spouse is, to finally do something exciting, or that excitement will be maintained in your marriage, that somehow you will be compelled to be both a good Christian in your responses or good in bed—one of the two. It's not you're not waiting for this stimulus of of somebody doing something for you. You are taking on these things. You're human beings. Unless you're not. I mean, if you're just one of the animals, if you're just one of the fraternity brothers, well and good, but you're going to get what you, what you earn. If you labor at the things of God, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, goodness, a nice list. Have you ever run into a husband like that? Besides, last have you... <laughs>
1: I don't know if anyone
0: else... Yeah. Well, that's a pretty great husband right there. Look at that. Loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, sitting outside the mall, waiting for her to come out. (laughs) Oh, I just got to get a few things in Winco. Just drive around the parking lot. You
2: know
0: what the price of gas is? (laughs) Patience. Kindness. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why, he's a saint. You would never leave a man like that. The problem is, what if you're not like that? I mean, because what kind of woman is that? Guys, think of that for a moment. A loving, a joyful, a peaceful. Not a herodin. The word herodin, it's a great word. Use it in a sentence. It is not on the list. High maintenance, Biatch is not on the list.
1: How do you spell Herodin? Never heard that word.
0: H-A-R-R-I-D-A-N.
1: Okay. How do we use that? <laughs>
0: um, is a she is a... <laughs> she is an, or your English, she is an Herodin.
1: Can, can um, a man be a Herodin? No, no. It's okay. only that's
0: a sorry. female. All right. uh, a heriden, uh is a uh, uh, a... Vituperative, another good word. Um, <laughs> I um, largely a loud, difficult woman. Loud. I believe that, yeah, a real wench. Okay. The OED is in the library. If anyone needs it yeah. afterwards. Um, we've got these things that were... We know that if I just got this down. If I got sick after tonight. And each I missed. The talk on bad attitudes, the talk on paying attention, the talk on the sex. Ah, darn. And the authority. If I went home and became a husband that said, okay, I've got this job to maintain together with my wife the vow, the sex, and the membership in a way that God directs that we submit ourselves to God's guidance, not our own mentality, if I came to this place and was using my conversation with my wife to bring her to this place and I to this place you'd be walking on water 80-90% of a marriage is people being Christians to each other so it lets us know in Romans 12 that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable which is your spiritual worship and to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Huge. Big, big thought. Renewing your mind. Don't think that the mind you got handed, the things you already learned, post-enlightenment or not post-enlightenment, are right.
1: I, I would like to add something. You can find after many years of marriage that you missed an important part of your mind that needed to be renewed and that can be fixed and it can change everything that you thought was actually already really good. It can get even better. So
0: we'll get to that on Friday. I think. Yeah. <coughs> the membership we have in holiness, we have to say this is talk to your spouse. I, none of you are in such, you know, in any kind of bad way where you can't talk to your spouse about where, you know, what do you think is the Christian duty for you, each of us together? What, what are we pursuing and why are we pursuing it? <coughs> is there membership in this pursuit of holiness? If there isn't a commitment to that, you got a separate problem that the fire and rain seminar ain't going to fix. It's going to take the conviction of the Holy Ghost, it's going to take the gospel, it's going to take. Something And that's when people have asked me what, um, what they're looking for, what are the tools, uh, what are the viewpoints, a guy asked me, what kind of doctrinal agreement agreement would you think you needed to find in spouse? What should I be looking for? And he was asking, you know, because there's lots of people who, if you don't join the same church or you know, hold the same view of, you know, end times or uh, ecclesiology or something else, they don't want to marry you because they don't want to have that extra baggage I had three things which are here, the three necessities is the person saved (coughs) do they have a doctrine of the gospel that they have believed unto passing from death to life not did they grow up in a Baptist church not did they walk the aisle did the gospel come across to them in such a way, they cried out to God for the salvation of their benighted soul and God wonderfully saved them. Are they a Christian? Not, did they say they were a Christian because you really think she's really hot or really cute. You're going to marry her and thank God she said she was. Because you know, they have to be regenerated by the gospel. They have to believe that. Two, they have to desire to please God and I put in bold here, rather than themselves. So much problem in marriage goes on with one person or the other, or both, wanting to please themselves. We know that love does not insist on its own way, right? Christian love, not romantic love, Christian love does not insist (laughs) But people are trying, because they're desperately trying to arrange a peaceful life, and rather than giving themselves to God's arrangement, they're just trying to stack up as many good things for them. Things working out where they get their way more of the time. If I get my way more of the time, I'll be happier. But if you want a happy and holy and tranquil marriage, they not only have to be Christians... They have to desire to please God and not themselves. That's the big choice in sin. All sin is in the category, I wanted to please myself. I wanted to do this even though God said that and even though God gave me the power to do that I wanted to do this bad enough. Now obviously if they really are a (coughs) Christian and they don't desire to please God they're going to be under a weight of conviction. So there's going to be other things God is going to be making your marriage somewhat miserable. Because he's going to be slapping your spouse around. If they're really a believer and they don't desire to please God. The last point, and this is the different one. Everybody goes, yeah, I like that. The gospel? Desire to please God? And then the third one is, they have to know where truth comes from. Okay? Because you can't, in membership, joining together in conversation, talking over everything, hearing what the prime minister has to say, processing it, the woman having the faith that her husband's going to be thinking consistently with the scriptures. Consi- or, is, or is he a born fool? Or he does, can't reason his way out of a wet sack? Doesn't give the woman much sense of security. Doesn't, if the man knows he's marrying to a beautiful, no offense, blonde who is... You know, a blonde, (laughs) like my wife, Um, fake blonde, like my wife, he can't pastor that. You can't teach someone who doesn't understand why something is true. You cannot point out to something in the scripture and go, honey, it says right here that e." well, I just don't think so. Shut the heck up. Now that's not... Now, don't don't say that to the wife. (laughs) Till later. Um, Where are you going to go for the guidance? Where truth comes from, and I have these helpful notes here, epistemic value. FYI, there are three things that are epistemically truth-bearing. The revelation of a person or agent who knows, the word of God is an example of that, this is the Bible it has authority, be- not because it's historically the book for Christians, it's got authority because the agent who knows, the living God, passed it to us through his prophets and apostles that's why okay, it's from someone who would know the truth you believe someone in a witness stand because they saw the events, they are believed because they have reason to have known the truth Okay? That's not as absolute as God, but it's of the same category. It's revelatory knowledge. Then there's reason. That's the only unquestionable one. Reason supports the other two. Reason is the it it has to be true or nothing can be true. Truth means nothing if there is no reason. You cannot even question um, the validity of reason without affirming reason. How would I doubt reason without saying, oh, there's a problem with this? I noticed that it was not very rational, but what? What am I appealing to? I have to affirm reason to affirm knowing that any meaning would exist at the end of a sentence. Uh, inferential knowledge has to be valid. <clears throat> or you could just be an animal, a complete nihilistic animal. But, and reality, you don't want a husband <coughs> or a wife they can't seem to process what's standing in front of them. Can't, doesn't seem to process what the truth of this matter is. Can't see the world for all of their prejudices or uh, 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 definitions that are all wrong, and they're looking out of eyes like you are, and you go, what are you seeing? I taught art for a number of years, and it was very disappointing to teach young people. Did I have you, Ashley, in my art class? Oh. <laughs> no. Wasn't, wasn't Ashley. Um, and that was... Did you have some...
1: I was just going to say that the, reason, or the reality thing might refer back to the weak women burdened with sins and swayed by various impulses. Yeah, they're impulsive
0: and sinful and convicted. They're not seeing reality well, and it says they can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. You don't want that kind of woman. You want a woman who's not swayed by various impulses, not burdened by sins, and not listen to anybody. They want to listen to that which is revel- uh, that, that has a claim of truth. Um, Were they talking about something?
1: You started to talk about art classes? Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Um, I'm an artist. I'm good, just like I'm a poet. <coughs> I won't argue that I'm thin, okay? I'm not. I'm not thin or athletic.
1: It's epistemically. But
0: yeah. Yeah. Reality would catch up with you there. Um, and I would have guys want people to draw things, students, and I'd be looking at what they're drawing and look at the thing and look at what they're drawing and look at the thing. I said, the windows, young man, go like this. You have the lines going like 90 degrees off. The windows were now vertical, uh, horizontal windows. I said, you do see that they go up and down, don't you? Oh. I mean, was not looking at reality. Just, he was seeing it. He was translating it in his mind to something else and drawing what he thought he saw. People are that way. People you want to be gearing, not just holiness, but someone who's rooted in a husband who's rooted in something that will increase, one, the sense of security in the woman, when her husband is a reasonable, biblical, realist. She goes, oh yeah, okay. I can I can sit in the passenger seat comfortably, ride shotgun, without hitting the brake, without because I know my husband thinks about what he's doing behind the wheel. That really adds to a sense of security. I hope I didn't uh, step on any toes there about uh, men driving.
1: Evan actually is um, a better driver when I'm asleep.
2: (laughs) It's
0: amazing. She has lived so long. (laughs) So basically, when you say these things, when you say these things, revelation, reality, reason, that means that in the membership you have together, you want to address these things that the both of you, together, need to be in the Word. Both of you, together. Not only together. I like that my son, he will, they, go, they would go off in two different ways, different, two different law firms, one in Newark, one in Manhattan, not enough time for anything. Davis would select out certain passages of Scripture on his Blackberry and he would send them to his wife on the train that she was going on so that she could meditate on the same passages of Scripture he was on that day. Share finding ways to share the word of God together. It'd be inventive, but you have to be in the word, and you have to become um, uh, not just in some sort of magical. We did our Bible reading. You don't ever want that to happen. But that you are remember the it's revelation because it's going to provide you with truth. That's its benefit. It's not so that it will have this magical amulet you hung around your schedule and said, "I read my Bible today." Big whoop. If you didn't get truth from it, if you weren't changed by it, it's not a point. But together. The same is true with uh, and you don't remember the second thing about desiring to please God. When you find out God thinks something you had better not be saying well I don't think that's true. I had a woman come up to me in church one number of years ago. Well Paul, he says a lot of uh, things I, uh, I don't agree with. And I said, well, Rosemary, that was her name. She doesn't go to our church, so I can say her name. Rosemary, just a second, let me think for a moment. Here's St. Paul. Here's Rosemary. Here's St. Paul. Here's Rosemary. I'm going to take St. Paul. Because who are you, Rosemary? You don't agree with the Apostle Paul. At least the Apostle Paul, when he said something, He made a claim that God was in his words. Christ inspired him. Rosemary, what do you got? You going to make that claim too? That some other God inspired you? Or the Holy Spirit is on you so much that you outrank an apostle? Well, we had a good relationship. I could tease her like that. So it wasn't like, she didn't get huffy and march out. but, uh, But she understood that I had to pick someone with more authority. You don't want to ever put yourself up against the Word of God and say, Now I want it to be this way. If you start operating on feeling interpretations, where I just feel it's a, it wasn't written. I mean you will feel things from the Word of God, and that's great. But your feeling does not change the meaning of the word.
1: I you know, this just struck me looking at that Second Timothy passage. That says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Lots of times, people look to the word to try to figure out what God's will is for their next move, you know, in life, and they think that somehow they're magically going to open it up and find God's will. That doesn't say that that's what the scriptures for. Um, it's for
0: or or even devotional. Good feelings. You can have devotional good feelings from the Word of God, but its task is to teach teach and reprove and correct. Now, that what that means—reproof, correct—is that sometimes you're going to get stepped on by it, and that's where we most times go. I don't really agree with you know. That's when you start to get all liberal. That's when you start to get, um, or or start to fall back on some other way to go beyond what is written. It says in the Corinthians passage, Corinthians four when he applied all this to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brethren, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. How do you get beyond what is written? Some people do it by being more loyal to their theological tradition than the word of God. Their tradition leads them beyond what is written. Some people do it with feelings. Some people do it um, just by just outright disagreement because Paul doesn't agree with the spirit of the age. Both of you need to be constrained by thought. We're not trying to make you philosophers. That's not the point. Everyone knows that common sense is sensible. I've talked to people who work on car engines all the time who know far more about logic without knowing a stitch of any of the names for the, the arguments, because they understand, well, if I do this, that happens. I understand the way the world works. Common sense, regular, salt-of-the-earth people. They understand. But understanding means that the inferences of life are valid. The inferences of thought. It tells me in Peter, Therefore, gird up your minds. Be sober. Set your hope fully upon the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It means think about it, or to quote John Barry. And I, he always wonders if this—that's John Barry's brother, Frank. But John Barry said this to me, and I always gave him credit for it. He thinks somebody else must have said it. He doesn't want—he's humble. Doesn't want to take credit for it. The phrase is think about it, then pop off. Okay? Did he ever say that to you, Frank? Well, did you say it actually originally, and he stole it? Probably, yeah. It was a long time ago. Now, it, it's telling every Christian, not just the ones who like thinking. I like thinking. I enjoy it. I sit in my tub. I think. I wish I had paper, waterproof paper. But I think about things. I sit in my library and stare vacantly and think. I have scraps of paper around my purse all the time, writing thinky stuff down. I produce books. Not books. Uh, notebooks full of stuff. I thunk. Now, but you say, I'm not that guy, am I'm a more. No, this is instruction to all of you. Gird up your minds. Be sober. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Because we're proving what is the will of God. Romans twelve. What is good, acceptable, and perfect.
1: And when you're together, talk about the stuff you've thought about.
0: And the stuff that's important to you, not what Wittgenstein was written has written, or even if you feel, well, Wow, I think you better start reading C. S. Lewis. I like C.S. Lewis, but there's no obligation to read C. S. Lewis. You just if it's if it's just you thinking about the kitchen curtains.
1: Or the recipe. Think about it the recipe and what would make it better.
0: The things you they, value, husband the,
1: like it better. the
0: things that you you would value, the things that are in your life require are asking thought of you. Uh, the things you approach in the scriptures, the people you approach, are going to require concrete, sober thought. Girded up, girded up was what they did back in the toga days when you had to run someplace. You would wrap all the loose parts of your dress, if you were a guy, up and sometimes tie them up into a into running shorts. So you could be girded up and uh, uh, not be in the breeze. We'll say we don't want to be the kind of people. Sometimes men are the kind of people well knowing stuff. That's just or, uh, not manly. Or not. You don't want to have guys who base their masculinity on not knowing, some guys who become very feminine in not knowing, not looking at things and trying to wrestle truth out of it. Some women think that being a little dippy, I I remember a girl in junior high, don't know her name, because she told me it was Dizzy, because there was a song out by Tommy Tommy Rowe, Rowe. Dizzy, My Head is Spinning. Remember that song, some of (laughs) you old people? Oh, my name is Dizzy now. You can call me Dizzy. Oh, yeah, we will. (laughs) Now, she thought it was charming. Being mindless is not charming. You look at Proverbs 31, woman, you see a stud. That woman, my goodness, you wouldn't want to arm wrestle that woman. Because it lets you know in Proverbs 11 that a beautiful woman without discretion... Old ring in a pig's snout. Boy, you could, be, you could be built like a brick outhouse. Which means, for people who are not com- com- familiar with outhouses, most of them are wood, <laughs> rickety, and uncomfortable to be in, no matter what. But so you're grateful for a well built outhouse. And a brick outhouse is. Well, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Was that song by the, the Commodores? She's, she's a, a brick,
1: brick. house.
0: <laughs> she's mighty mighty. Okay. Discretion, wealth, and uh, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord prudence. She's a well-fought woman. That's what she's bringing. That's the humane agent she's bringing to my family. I didn't make my wife prudent. She became prudent. She seized on it. She went after it. She wanted to be. Well, you say to yourself, is this ever going to end? Yes. You're looking at the last section here. And they're not, it's, it's sort of wrapping things up here. Um, the last thing, you're just like I said, you've got to be in the Word together, you've got to be girding up your minds together. Assessing your world, your world, soberly. In the light of Jesus Christ, you're assessing it. And the last thing is you're paying attention. We're going to get to this later in the paying attention section. But you need to see the actual. You want your faith to match reality. Not be the faith that the world gives you. (coughs) Excuse me. Not the faith that the world gives you. But that your faith God has told you something about the world. God made reality. Those two are supposed to match. Reality, your faith, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, big name, we were talking about Sir Isaac Newton earlier. Um, you know, people had been stuck to the ground for centuries prior to Sir Isaac Newton.
2: <laughs>
0: centuries. Putting one foot in front of the other and managing to walk around by controlling the flow of 32 feet per second square and didn't know what they were doing. But they believe, their belief matched reality. They had defined in a very organic way theories of gravity. Little kids who don't know theories of tying shoes learn to walk. They understand gravity. They have a faith. that nobody knows what gravity is. Is it a space-time curvature? Or does the Earth just suck? Um, those are... <laughs> Those are uh, the possibilities, I guess. (laughs) We don't want to have um, a faith. We're not trying to have uh, a a world that is being defined for us by a brainwashing of a particular uh, idea that just wants to be uh, driven into you by um, people with strong views. These things, that's the problem that happens when someone doesn't know where truth comes from. It doesn't come from an insistent husband. Insistent husband does not make something true. Okay, I don't believe that's an epistemic source. Neither is a vaporing wife. One who's having a, a little moment and a little bit too much into her cycle and something's now true because she's PMS. It does make something true. So we want to avoid the fake things that uh, make claims that way. Um, When we, I think
1: you should read the Woodhouse. Oh,
0: the Woodhouse. This is the woman. This is the woman who is not in touch with reality. This is from *Code of the Woosters* by P.G. Woodhouse. I call her a ghastly girl because she was a ghastly girl. The Woosters are chivalrous, but they can speak their minds. A droopy, soupy, sentimental exhibit with melting eyes and a cooing voice and the most extraordinary views on such things as stars and rabbits. I remember her telling me once that rabbits were gnomes in attendance on the fairy queen and that stars were God's daisy chain. Perfect rot, of course. They're nothing of the sort. (laughs) As Bertie Wooster speaking about Madeline Bassett, who uh, is the, um, the beautiful, but every man regrets getting engaged to her. They always managed to get engaged to her, somehow. Battle uh, of Bassett laughed with a tinkling, silvery laugh that got her so disliked by the better element. Good writers, you got to love them. Uh, well, here at the, uh, uh, the, the summing up of this is the idea that we need to be Christians to each other first don't think, you you may still stumble into problems, temptations to each other, difficulties, but you'll have Christianity staring you in the face, you'll have your own walk with God being alert, hopefully the Holy Spirit in you, alert to your guilt if you've done something wrong, and you will not tolerate its absence, the uh, faithfulness to God, uh, uh, peace with God, its absence. If you look at any certain things um, that you want to address in this, one is love. I mean, love is the greatest thing, not romantic love. Your Christian love for your spouse. Love is kind. Love is patient. And for every, now my wife and I have disagreed a few times. As I told the berries this evening, the beatings fixed that. (laughs) <laughs> but she hit me where the bruises wouldn't show So, um, my wife and I have never fought 34 years ever she tried first few weeks or something like that within the first year first year of marriage she tried to have a fight but I grew up in a home you don't allow that sort of thing
1: Nothing, not, nothing not throws cold water on a woman who's trying to have a fight any worse or better, I'm not sure how you'd express that, than having the other party not be willing. Just kind of stand there. <laughs> <laughs> and you start to feel like a real idiot.
0: So that never happened <laughs> so again. Never
2: happened again.
0: <laughs> um, if you fight Now, I know I'm saying, I I know people look at us like we're from
2: Mars
0: (laughs) because they can't believe that or they grew up in a home where parents fought. Not all the time, but a lot of what we call good marriages have those kind of tiffs that go on where voices are raised and emotions run high and then you have makeup sex or you feel like, hey, it was good for us you were just being unchristian for the sake of makeup sex. Unchristian, because love is patient and kind. You don't get to say, well, I, I had a special kind of love where I was really impatient and really wanted to be unkind. I wanted to rip his lungs out. That's not, you can't, I, look, I don't write this stuff. I, well, some of it I did, but the Bible parts, <laughs> the Bible parts God and his holy apostles wrote and you got to go back to that whole thing am i going to be submitting to god's will or my will you don't get to redefine what christianity is just because you and the little woman got into it so the first is love you know take a look at that together say have we been doing so we've been allowing ourselves cuz you in a moment like this where you're at a marriage seminar and you're going to be talking about marriage you probably on, you know things are probably go, going great you know This is the moment you talk about those things. This is the week you discuss them. This is when you can check them off and say, yeah. You gotta look at that. Because we're letting ourselves go. We did not, my parents basically, there was no ground for sin. My parents sinned. We certainly did, growing up. But the basic policy was, nothing but holiness well what about the sin? We're either holy or we were getting holy. You're either right with God or you're getting sin confessed. There's no excuse for anything but that. You have to decide I skipped over that as a a comment I made over there on page 9 and I skipped over this point of decision. First think of love second think of the decision you have to make. Are you, and that may be this whole idea of talking about these things this week, are you going to decide, it's a big thing, once you've decided to serve Jesus Christ, you decided to follow him, you gave your life to him, did you mean that, did you not mean that, what it, what's up with it? I mean, what are you actually about? Are you about being a good Christian? Are you about someone who's going to serve the living God? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do the things that I say. Jesus is a little confused about people who would say such a thing? So you have to make a decision. And as members, you want to walk through that decision together. Your spouse needs to know what you decided. It's only fair, right? Especially if there are going to be fights in the future that he knows or she knows that you decided earlier at that conference you weren't going to follow Jesus. That you are going to shoot your hand up and say, yeah, he's uh, uh, not ready for that yet. Well, at least the little woman or the, or the husband would like to be forewarned that they ought to mind their P's and Q's so they don't cause a blow up. But tell them, decide where you're going. And decide that holiness has a place of definite need. You've got to be there. People have asked us why we, we have lived with over 300 people. Our lives are in front of people. We don't fight. Our kids are all believers. They're all in the light. Now, it's not any magic. It's not God's special blessing on Jim and Bessie Wilson. we It's not because we didn't sin. It's because holiness is the default. That's where we have to go. When we're wrong, we have to get back there. And you have to get back there. Take the correction of God, His mercy, and confess things. And as a special, special gift, yes, lovely. The,
1: the, you have the how, to, be, how to maintain joy?
0: That's just what, it's in your folder. Oh, Jim Wilson has his, yeah, oh, they have yeah, it, in yeah. it in their folder. I printed out my dad's thing on how to maintain joy in your life. It's on confession of sin. It's on restoration. It's what you, you say, you might be both dear believers, One of you, you know, and, and you've let things slide. You're only going to get there by restoration. You're only going to get back to that place by confessing your sins. Um, Psalm, one thir- uh, Psalm 32 I de- when I declared not my sin this is in the side column my body wasted away through my groaning all day long verse 5 I acknowledged my sin to thee and I did not hide my iniquity I will confess my transgressions to the Lord then thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin same as in 1 f- John 1 about if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and then you say, okay, we're committed to love. We're going to decide to do be this way. We're, either going to, we're going to commit to this default of holiness. We're going to get restored when we need to get restored. Let's spend some time getting right with God. If we're not right with God, let's spend some time getting right with God. Then it's about maintenance. And that's the last point. Last point, maintenance. Husbands, it illustrates our love for our wives like Christ loved the church when it says in Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now it's talking about Christ and the church there. It's very natural for us to feel the impact of it as husbands, that that's what we're, we're supposed to be, the pastors of the word in our families, where at least we, at least we imitate our Lord with our brides. That we know the value of a sanctified woman. He wants wants a church that's sanctified to present to himself in splendor. We want a wife that's glorious and beautiful because she has discretion and prudence and wisdom. Be the kind of good soil that produces that fruit. the seeds cast on it. You've got to start responding to it. It talks about living considerately with your wives in order that your prayers may not be hindered. We know that maintaining our lives together, and we're going to get into this tomorrow night when we talk about attitudes that are, run, are prevalent you know, in, in Christian marriages, um, we've got to have the right definitions. We've got to have the right decisions. We've got, to be, we've got to be about this. We're not just, oh, you know, we both have sex organs and we're both really in love and we'll just see what happens living on a prayer, you know, just, is that Bon Jovi? <laughs> living, on a, living on a prayer, we're going to just, ah, and then when things start to go cattywumpus and the, the kid's got colic and, and he's staying out late with his friends and playing video games and, and I'm sweating with the kid and I hope he brings me roses because that makes everything better. That's a good marriage. Um, please don't ever come to my house again. <laughs> Let's thank God. That's the, uh, the end. Tomorrow night we're going to be looking at having attitude and paying attention. Um, and uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Very grateful. We uh, have been very blessed by having the opposite sex in our lives. Uh, teach, teach us the wisdom how not to spoil that. In your son's name, amen. Amen.